I want to speak to you about the church in this hour. And I'm not really speaking to this church per se. I, th I really believe that God has put this on my heart almost like a prophetic message for the church, for the church in the United States. I don't have a stage to speak to that church, so I speak to you. But there's something that God has put in my heart that I, I just come with a soberness. I really do. I approach it with soberness. And I've just called it the church in this hour. And I, I believe God wants to do something. He's on the move with his church in the world, but even in the United States. He's busy. There's lines being drawn in the sand, and he's busy turning and shifting things. And people are going to, in a sense, wake up or just go on as they've always gone on, expecting a different result, which is actually the definition of insanity. But it's just something that God has put in my heart. So we're going to look at Judges chapter 6. It's a message I preached uh, many years ago, and it's probably my favorite story in the Old Testament, and partly because I see myself in it. And it's something that, I don't know why, but God alerted me to many years ago. He pressed me into the story, and so we're going to go look at that, the church in this hour. Albert Einstein said this, It is entirely possible that behind the perception of our senses, worlds are hidden of which we are unaware. That's Albert Einstein. I suspect he was smarter, I don't want to say than everyone in this room, we may have another Albert Einstein, but he was right. There are worlds hidden that we are not aware of, that we cannot yet see. And Jesus made a statement in Luke, which actually has concerned me from time to time, when I think of the church, just the global church, you know, when he said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? You know, the fact that he said that, why would he say that? What is faith? Faith is understanding that the unseen realm is greater than the seen. Faith is being more sure of what we cannot see than what we can. Faith is living from the unseen to the seen. We make decisions based on what we cannot see. We live from that place towards people, towards situations, towards cultures. And he's saying, when I come back, will I find a church? Will I find a bride with faith? I'm not just faith for healing and oh, this ability to believe. No, with an ability to understand God's ways, God's moves, the unseen realm, what he's doing, and not be weird and crazy, but mature and balanced and strong, actually strong. So, will he find that? Now, when we read Judges 6, we're going to approach it from a prophetic purview, from a the New Testament, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, I think it is in Romans 15, it says that the Old Testament, we, it was written for us as examples and as shadows and patterns, and we can look at it. Like, for example, David says, Lord, in the Psalms, many times, smash their teeth in their mouth. That's quite a thing to say. But we don't fight flesh and blood. So if you're praying that against someone, that's not a good idea. But he says, smash their teeth in the mouth. But we take Old Testament things and we put them into the spirit. You, you with me? And we translate it that way. So we're going to do that quite heavily in Judges 6. Can we pray first, though? Can we pray first? I wonder if we could actually just pray together. Don't just listen to me. We're going to do just a little bit of a different day. Can we pray for the church? Just the church in general. John G. Lake used to say, there's a strong man's gospel. And I have a dream. I really have a dream of a victorious church that is not cowering, but understand that it's not against people, it's not against, it's not political, it's not all the stuff, all the weapons that we use that are carnal, that's not going to turn it, it's the supernatural, it's the spirit of God, it's the love of God. So can we pray together?
Can we pray for the church in general? Could you pray with me? You can close your eyes, open, stand, sit, kneel, whatever you want to do. Father, we just lift up our hearts and our hands and our, just our, our voices, Lord, and we just say, God, restore, I pray. Come again, Lord. Lord, this angel breakthrough and many angels that we are not aware of, Lord. May we not be afraid of it. May we not be afraid to talk about it. May we repent from just the comfort and actually say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, there's a realm we do not see. Wake the American church up, I pray, and let us see again. In Jesus' name, amen. So this has nothing really to do with where we were as a church, but I've got to be obedient. So in Judges 6, we see Midianites and we see Amalekites. And I just want to quickly give you a little bit of uh, just a quick study. Midian means strife. And the Midianite people, and if you know Scripture, you'll be thinking, well, why the Midianites? This is not the Midianites of Jethro, of Moses' father and all. That's Midianites from the south. This is Midianites from the east, and it means strife. And to give you a little bit of history, in Numbers 25, there's the people of Israel have wandered around the desert for 40 years, and they finally come to the staging area where they're going to cross. It's a place called the Acacia Grove. And they finally land there. And in a sense, if you think about it from the church, because Israel, the church, you know, New Testament, they've been on their own. They've been us for no more. They've been church behind closed doors for 40 years. They haven't encountered other gods, other people, other cultures. It's just them and God and dealing with their own stuff. Hello? That's a lot of people. All right. So now they land and they're just about to cross. This is the first test. This is the first time they, they come into contact with other cultures. And there's this, the, the Midianite chief there, his daughter is named Cosby. Uh, C-O-Z-B-I, and that name means to lie or to deceive. And so she seduces uh, Zimri, who is a son of one of the chiefs of, or one of the leaders of the Simonite people. He's actually called the prince in the Bible. He's the prince of the Simonites. And his name means to worship and to praise. And so she seduces this guy. Just, it's the last hour. The, the people are positioned to inherit. I believe we as a church, personally, are positioned to inherit with what God's doing. I mean, I believe many are, because God wants to do something. And so this is what comes at the last hour, Midian. And so she, she walks in, she seduces this guy, and they walk, and sorry to be brutally honest, but they walk right into the tabernacle of meeting, into the tent of meeting where God is, and they start engaging in sexual activity on the ground in front of everybody. It's in the Bible. There's some very interesting stuff in the Bible. Phineas of the house of Aaron, a priest. What are you? Eh? Okay. Phineas gets so righteously enraged, he grabs a javelin and, in a sense, sticks them both through the ground. So we're not going to talk about that. Because <laughs> that's interesting. The deception... I think it's going to come up. The deception of the culture, that's the Midianites, the culture, the systems of the world. The deception of the culture is a lie that steals affection and praise from God's people, from princes, from sons and daughters at a very critical time. That's what Midian does. And it offers false affection in place of the presence of the Lord. And we see it again 
and again and again. So that's the culture. That's what, and then you have Amalekites, which I won't get into. They represent the old flesh nature. My dad has done an amazing teaching on that, and so we just don't have time. But he was Amalek, the grandson of Esau, the firstborn, your first nature. The nature you're born with physically, that's the first nature. That's the old nature. The nature you are born again with, the second nature. Amalek, the grandson of Esau, represents the old nature, and the, the culture will always combine and partner with the flesh at the last hour to convince people that it's, it's, God's not really going to do that. Always. So, let's go to Judges. Judges 1. I'm reading in the New King James. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. So strife prevailed against the church. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, that's the flesh, the culture in the flesh, and the people of the east would come up against them, and they would encamp against them, and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel. Neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. The church greatly impoverished because of the culture. That's a picture for me of the subdued church, which we see in many parts, in many, all over the world. The subdued church, where it says there, because of the Midianites, the children of Israel hid. The church, because of the culture, because they don't want to uh, offend. They don't want to, oh, so they go behind closed doors. It's faith in your home, but faith here, but there's no expression. There's no, there's a subdued church. Yet the original call to Adam was fill the earth and subdue. Now we do it obviously different in the New Testament. Please not for a second am I talking about political or coming against people. It's not people. It's the something behind. And there it's not actually anything to do with them or their fault. It's actually us. We are debtors as we went over last week. We owe the world the gospel. And so that's what happens with the subdued church. They hide. It's opposite to the original call. The culture pushes us into our homes, into our churches, living out faith behind closed doors. Then it says, whenever Israel had sown, and it talks about the produce of the earth and the ox and the donkeys, Jesus said, I have food you know not of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he talks about the harvest. It's a play on words. It's the harvest being actual food. When the church is subdued, we lose the harvest that belongs to the Lord, which is people, salvations, freedom. There's a harvest that gets taken. And the culture comes in and actually, they wouldn't just kill the livestock. They would actually steal them and take them for themselves. And they take those, the ox and the donkey were the laborers that would plow the fields. They would take the laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Well, what's doing that? And they take the laborers and they snatch the laborers away from God's people at a very critical hour in a subdued church. And this is what happens. And then it says, Israel was greatly impoverished because they had been subdued by what surrounded them. 
Then in 6 verse 11, I'm going to jump there quickly. Let me give you a bit of history quick. This is how it all started for me. I read this many years ago. The Lord came to me, I think it was in a dream, I, can't, I cannot remember now, and said, go read this story. And I read the story, and 6 verse 11 jumped into my heart, and I was just struck right through. And since then, I've heard other people, well-known people, talk about it, but I, honestly, it came to me straight from the Lord. And it's not important because I, I, we don't mind, truth is truth, but it's important because it means it's for this body. And 6 verse 11 says this, the angel of the Lord came and sat up under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah and belonged to Joash the Beersrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide. Some translations say in fear of the Midianites. What happens with a subdued church, and this is the, the main point of the whole story for me, is that we take the wine, which represents what? Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and the wheat, which is obviously the Word of God, which is not a bad thing. But... We take where the Spirit of God should be, and we just have teaching and programs for fear of the culture. We, we don't want the Spirit of God to move in the church and, and talk about these things and have that happening, well, because it makes people unsettled. It makes people nervous. It just does things that, oh, well, I want to bring my friend, but they may talk about these. And so we subdue, and we subdue, and we slowly but surely remove the Holy Spirit from the church and the presence of God from the church. And I love to teach. If you know me for five minutes, I'll talk to you about the Bible. Doctrine is important. Teaching is vital. But the church is not a teaching center. It's not to entertain. It's not to have beautiful programs. But apart from the supernatural touch of God. And that's what Gideon had done. For fear of the culture, for fear of what people would say, he had put, put teaching in where there should be spirit. He had access to a threshing floor. Verse 37 says that. And that's the way it should be. A threshing floor is where they would take wheat and do all sorts of things with the wheat and the chaff, you know, the stuff around the kernels, and they would do all the stuff. And then another expression of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, the wind would come and blow away all the stuff that wasn't genuine. The Word and the Spirit together. And he had access to the threshing floor. But he couldn't use it because he was afraid. So he got, rid of the, he got rid of the Holy Spirit. He said, we'll just do this. Boom, 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 boom. And then we have problems. This is a subdued church. So what happens? Isn't this, it's sadly familiar, right? All right. It's not just me. The church arises, verse 7 to 10. Came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt, and I brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all those who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice." There has to be a cry. The Bible says they cried out. There's something that begins to cry out. Lord, there has to be more. There has to be more. There has to be more. And there's a cry that begins to come from a genuine heart, not, not fighting it with political and carnal weapons, but on your knees. 
And there's a cry that begins to come. And the first thing the Lord does is, and this is what happens when a church starts to arise. This is always the case. He restores the voice of God. He sends the prophet. God begins to speak. People begin to hear his voice again. He restores his voice, which is his life, in the land, in the church. And he reminds them of what he's done and who he is and who you are. He reminds them of what he's done. He reminds them of the gospel. Do you not know that I've saved you? Do you not know that I snatched you out of Egypt? I conveyed you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of my son, Colossians. Do you not know that I've, I've pushed out all the people from the land, in a sense, even death? You have eternal life. Do you know what I've done? And he reminds us of the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. What's happened? What's he done? What's been won? The victory that we have. And he will speak that over and over. As the church begins to arise, there will come a great clarity to the gospel of Jesus. There will come a clarity. It's not confusing. It's clear. It's crisp. It's sharp. Because God is speaking the gospel into the land again. Then he says... I am the Lord. I am the Lord God Almighty. Do you know who we speak to? I'm the creator. I measure the stars by the breath of my hand. Friends, we've forgotten to whom we're praying. He is not a man that he should lie. He is to whom can we compare him? He is above all. He has all power. I remember I had a dream once where the Lord said, do you want to see what I could do? And he just snatched the breath out of a whole generation in my dream. And they all, he wouldn't do that because he's a God of covenant. But he can. Friends, who is the Lord? To whom are we crying out to? There's, a, there's something that we haven't, the church forgets. The God of heaven and earth. We cannot forget whom we speak to and whom we pray to. And he says, he says, in the land which you dwell, it's like we think, God, well, you're not on earth. He knows the issues in the land. He sees. He knows. He's not thrown by it. He's like, well, now I really don't know what to do. The Bible says he raises kingdoms up and he pulls them down. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. Whether people agree, don't agree, like it, He is the Lord. And then He reminds us who He is. But you know, friends, on this issue of lordship, the, the church has sometimes made saviorship the issue. I am passionate about seeing that and seeing the love of God and the, who God is and the covenant that we have with Him and sonship and grace. But you know, 24 times in the New Testament the word Savior is mentioned. 647 times the word Lord is mentioned. Even salvation. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth what? That He is Lord. And when you see Lordship, He'll save you. I am the Lord, He says. I am the Lord. I am God. And I know what's happening in your land. And then God starts to make you. Jesus said, if you follow me, I will make you. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Mark 1. If you follow me, I'll make you. You just follow, and I will make you. And I will form you, and I will shape you. And God will always make a person. 
He makes someone to rise, to call the church to rise up. So let's look at the making of God. Now, we're going to read a large portion of Scripture. But we're, we all love that, right? Yeah. We're not even going to get tired of it. We're so excited. You just wish I would stop talking. Okay, so let's read. The angel of the Lord came and sat, sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Beersrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the culture, so we'll say. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. But Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, no capital L, he didn't know who it was yet. If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Who's heard that question before? Well, if God, then why? And where are all the miracles which our fathers have told us about? Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. I love it when God doesn't answer your question. It's just great, you know? It's just not worth an answer. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said, But oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart here, I pray, until I come to you. It's amazing how people think they can tell the Lord what to do. It really is amazing. It's like when Peter, George, and I have chatted about this. The, the absolute dichotomy when he says, No, Lord. Those two don't go together. He says, Do not depart here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. You know, my dad has always said, The Lord waited patiently, 120 years for Noah. You know, the Lord waits for us. It's an incredible truth. And so Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah for flour. The meat he, so he prepares a meal. Go to verse 21. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand. He said, put the meal on the rock. He said, put out the end of the staff that was in his hand. And he touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And the fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Just picture that for a moment. We read this as, as things that don't happen anymore. Has God changed? No. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and he said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He thought he was going to die. Because that's what the, the, the Torah says. If you see this, you'll die. It's a, it's a good response, friends. I, I really mean that. It's, it's an accurate response. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. It's one of the actual names of God. Yahweh, the Lord, our peace. Shalom. And they called it the Lord is peace, and to this day it is still there. So Gideon is doing this thing where he's hiding. He's hiding. He's let go of the Holy Spirit for fear of the culture, and we're just doing our thing. And the Lord comes and says to him, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. The Lord, when the church, it's time for the making of God, he will always speak to you according to who you actually are, even though you're not that yet. He, he speaks your identity into you. He always will do that. Even though what is Gideon? He's insecure. He has daddy issues, which we'll get into. He's cynical. What did he say? If the Lord is with us, then why? That's a cynical heart. 
Prove yourself to me, God. Ashamed. I am the least and the smallest. Many people feel like that. Well, God can use them, but not I'm the least and I'm the smallest. Well, what if it wasn't about you? And what if it was about the God who lives in you? And then he was offended. The Lord has forsaken us. He has delivered us to strife all around, to the Midianites. The Lord has delivered us to the Midianites. He's offended at God. Where are the miracles? You, you, Lord, have actually delivered us to these situations. Yet the Bible says they had forsaken the Lord. They were, they were just as fascinated with the culture as the world was. And then they were like, well, you. And all the strife, yeah, it's you. It, it, it doesn't make sense. And he's doubtful. Prove yourself to me. Imagine saying that to the Lord. You prove yourself to me. If this is you, show me. God doesn't have to do that. Because, you know, for, friends, for Abraham, none of that was needed. The Lord said, have I not sent you? Abraham, that was enough. Go. Yes. And off he goes. Well, not Gideon. But, and why, and how come, and I'm this, and just all these issues. It's honestly why I love this story. Because it's so honest. Because we all see, that's me. That's us. That's how I feel. I love it. Have I not sent you? That really should have been enough. Then he says this, big point, let me sacrifice to you. Did he ask for a sacrifice? No. He did not. I find that in the church so much. The Lord desires obedience more than sacrifice. Obedience is exciting because you've heard. It's not correction. We hear obedience, we think correction. Obedience means relationship. I've heard and I'm empowered because he's spoken to me and his life comes with his words. And so now I'm doing. And I can go because I trust him. That's, it's exciting. And so he says, well, you wait here. I'm going to go do a sacrifice. Friends, how much less sacrifice would there be in the church if we just obeyed? I, I think we, our position would be like, I'll sac- Lord, I'll do it. I'll sacrifice. I'll, he's like, uh, okay. I'll just wait here. Let me know when you're done. I'm going to burn up your little sacrifice. And then you're going to know who I am. And you'll be like, okay, I'm going to listen to you. It's, it's a, we, all, we all do that. It's just so true. It is so true. Then comes the test, friends. Many people stop here. Many. They stop at this point and they tell of the encounter. You wouldn't believe what happened to me. And the angel came or the angel breakthrough. You wouldn't believe what happened. And they tell of the encounter. But there's a test coming. There's a test coming. Every encounter of God. Why did the encounter come? To defeat Midianites, to overcome culture, to understand a strong man's gospel, to subdue, not be subdued. Why did that come? To change the status quo of God's people and how they were in the church. And the encounter comes with a purpose. Nothing's happened, actually. Nothing's, none of that has happened. And so people, they cry out, then an encounter comes, and they're like, I had an encounter. What are you doing with it? No, I had an encounter. It was amazing. This is all happening in your car or in your home. Okay, but, yeah, no, I had an encounter. There's a point to it. There's a purpose behind it. And that's the test. And that's where we see our heart. And this is the hard part. 6, verse 25 to 27. It says, the same night the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull. What actually happens is he says, all right, 
Take your father's second bull, the young bull, and the Lord describes it. Take it because his father had an Astroth pole. You know the Astroth poles, the carved wooden poles? They were extremely expensive, extremely difficult to make, and they were very precious probably to his father. And he was a bit scared of his father. And this thing was precious, and a bull is expensive. So the Lord says, I've got an idea. Why don't you go, take your dad's, take your father's bull, use it to pull down the altar of Baal, which was a big stone, you know, expensive thing and probably laden with gold. And he says, pull it down, smash it, build an altar to me, cut down the wooden image, use that as wood for the fire, and then sacrifice your father's bull on that. That's what he tells Gideon to do. It's kind of, it's a statement. And friends, at some point, the, the, this, this encounters, the relationship will spill over into practical decisions that other people can see. And, and that is what the Lord will always do. I've told you I'm with you. I've told you I'm with you. You know it was me. You know without, it's me. I've proven it's me. And I've told you I'm with you. And I've told you who you are. And I've reminded you of who I am. And I've told you of the gospel. Yes? Yes, Lord. Go do this. Mm-mm. That will come. Because it's the very issue. I'm afraid of what they'll say. I'm afraid of what people will think. What if I talk about this angel breakthrough and then people are like, friends, if we got afraid of every thing in the church that someone abused, we would have nothing to talk about. Think about that. We would be left with nothing. Doesn't make truth not truth. Doesn't make the supernatural not the the supernatural. The essence of why Christ came, a spirit-led life. By the spirit, by the spirit, walk in the spirit, live in the spirit. The test comes You know what's interesting to me is they were worshipping the same gods as the people who were oppressing them. You know that never goes well for God's people? It really is it's a fascinating thing to me. How many people have said, how come I cannot do that, but when the world does it, they flourish and succeed? They make money and they flourish, and yet when I take part in what they're doing, it just doesn't go well. Why? Because you've put yourself under mastery and they will subdue you every time. Every time, every time, the Lord says, come out and be separate. Don't be distracted by what they're distracted with. It's time for the church to arise. Remember what it is to be holy. Remember what it is to be separate. Remember what it is to have his presence. Don't forget, he's saying, when you're fascinated by what they're fascinated with, it's not a rebuke, it's not legalism, but when you're fascinated by that, it's, it doesn't go well. God's saying, come out, my people. Come out and rise up. There is a test. And then he did it, but he did it at night. I like that because he was afraid. The Bible says, he says, Gideon took the men. So he took people with him. You know, sometimes you need people, right? Uh, I'm going to go get my crew. Let's go do this together. And he goes and does it together. And it says, he did it at night because he was afraid. Uh, he feared his father's house and the men of the city. Neither one of those are even yet the culture. Not the culture. He feared his family 
What is my family going to say if I start to actually speak about what I believe? What is my family going to say if I start to actually tell of the testimonies of what happens in church? What is my family going to say? What is my dad going to think? What is my mom? You know? My dad tells a story of after he got saved, his parting days was in a very particular part of town, they'll say. And shortly after he got saved, they had a, like an outdoor like a, a play or drama, I don't know what they call it. And he was tasked with holding a cross in town square. It's like that test, you know. Everyone, all your old buddies, they're going to see. There you are, this ex-hooligan. Sorry, Dad, your testimony. <laughs> and now you're holding this cross about Jesus. That's what it is. Because until that dies, it, it's difficult to be effective. Then the men of the city, what's that? That's other believers, friends. I'm afraid of what that church will think. I'm afraid of what this believer will say. Who cares? Really, who cares? John Wesley said, Give me 100, 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they are clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Friends, that test will come to every person. And that, I believe, is what God is bringing the United States believers to. Come out. Then there's the tipping point, which I won't go into. But there is a reaction. People think, well, maybe God will just, there won't be a reaction. No, there will be. But the point is, before it happens, it doesn't matter anymore. You notice Gideon doesn't respond here. If you go read it, we don't have time to get into it. The men of the city come out. Who did this? Who did? Well, Gideon did it. Bring him out that we're going to kill him. Joash, whose bull is gone, altar is gone, gods are gone, but he's still his father. He stands up and he says, really? Let Baal, or let Baal, whatever, let Baal speak for himself. If he is a god, let him prove it. When pressure comes, the real fathers will arise. A hireling will run. Because sometimes the sons, sometimes the, the ones that God puts his spirit on will call a whole generation. Because they can see it. He's dealt with what I couldn't deal with. Hello? Preach. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward when you read the Bible. Then awesome. So that happens. I'll actually read it to you. But Jairus said to all who stood again, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Think about that. Would you really save him? Because no one would dare say that about our God, Yahweh. No one would say that about the Lord, really. So he says, if he's real, let him show himself. And Gideon becomes known. I think I, it's not up there. All right. Gideon becomes known as a living reminder of the impotence of Baal. I want that. That the church becomes known for whose God is God. Not in a political, not in a in your face with love. We have the Holy Spirit. What I have, I give, Peter. And then God shows up. Verse 34, bring it to a close. The Spirit of the Lord, well, actually, verse 33 says, And all the Midianites and Amalekites of the people of the East gathered together. So, still, friends, all this has happened, but nothing's actually happened. 
We have to understand that when God is the making of a man, when he's calling the church to arise, when there's something going on and the testings, it all happens in the heart. It all happens in here. The Midianites are still there. The Amalekites are still there. No one's been defeated. But God has put something into the heart of a man. He has put conviction that is stronger to him than his fears. And that changes everything. And that is a process where God says, I'm going to change your heart and your heart and your heart. I'm going to put something in you that is stronger than all those other fears. Even though you struggle, even though you have failings, and it's not about being perfect. Because Gideon certainly was not. So then what happens? And all that time the enemy gathers. The gatherer says they were gathering the whole time. Then verse 34 says this. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Friends, when the Spirit of God comes to the church, when he really comes, people can see. When the Spirit of God rests on a person, people can see. When the Holy Spirit is not quenched, not blasphemed, not, not forget the other one. People can see the Spirit of God, the authentic versus the false. Instantaneously, it says, when the Spirit of God came upon him, he blew the trumpet. It says, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and the Abiezrites gathered behind him, and he sent messengers all throughout Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. They remembered their God. That's what happened. They saw God and they remembered, that's the God I worship. That's the God I serve. Because someone stood, someone said, no more. No more. We are not a subdued church. We have the Lord Almighty. He lives. He breathes in us. And it's not to come against people, friends. It's we bow. We... No. There's a strong man's gospel. And when people see it, they remember. Because they, these are the same, they just wanted to kill him. They were just about to kill him. And the Spirit of God comes back. And they say, that's the God I remember when I was a boy. That's the God. Friends, and I have seen it. I've seen God do crazy things to people. Stick them to walls and hover. That might scare you. And snakes and weird things. That's the God we serve. And when the world sees that, even when the church sees that, that's the God I know. That's the God of the Bible. They just wanted to kill him, and it says they gathered behind him. You know what a beer's right means? My father is help. The people who gathered, they remembered who their father was. You know what Manasseh means? It says he sent messengers to Manasseh. It means to forget. We have to remind the church, we have to remind the people that have forgotten who God is, what he's called us to do. And they gather behind because they see God at work. From this point on, his army dwindles down to 300. There's hundreds of thousands. It actually says as numerous as the sand on the sea, uh, the sand on the seashore. 
Hundreds of thousands of people gathered in a valley. Multiple different groups and tribes. All come against it. Here's 300. The point of the story for me is this. The battle's over already at this point. The rest is just outworking of what happened in a person's heart. The battle's already won. It's won here. And it's won here. When you position yourself, you say, come what may, this is where we're going. And God shows up. But first, Gideon, I want you to do this and this and this and this. Then God shows up. And the battle's over. And they do win, and we know the story. But the battle was won here. I believe, I think I put it up there, we're not a subdued church because we have to remember who our God is. We cannot, friends, we cannot afford to trade the Spirit of God for the comforts of culture, people, for fear to offend. No. He is the Lord. And it's His church. And it's His Spirit. And He wants to do something. And I just felt... Two o'clock yesterday afternoon, that the Lord wanted us to say yes to this breakthrough. Not be afraid of it. Not care what people think. So could we do that for a moment? Could we stand for a second, babe? Could you come? I hope you hear my heart. Friends, there's a strong man's gospel. There's a there's something that I believe God wants to do. And I don't know what it looks like, and, and at times, unfortunately, we've, we say that, and then we have a picture in our mind. It may be nothing like we think. It may be nothing. It's, it may be a slow. It doesn't matter. What does matter is we respond. And we say, Lord, I don't care what other people think. I don't care. We just say yes. Because it's, it's His. Some of you may have never experienced the Spirit of God in a very powerful, tangible way. It changes everything, you know? His presence. We, we don't want false affection in place of God's presence. And we just pray together. I'm not going to ask for a response. I, my heart, my, what I'm asking the Lord is put a conviction in people's hearts today that's stronger than their fears. Because I can't do that. But He can do that. He can do that. God always has one response. I am with you, you will win. That's it. I am with you, you will win. Why? Because I am with you. Can we pray together? Holy Spirit, we never want to quench you. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for we agree with this angel breakthrough. We agree with what you are doing, Lord. The Holy Spirit, I pray, may you come. May you rest on people's hearts, Lord. May the church arise again, not in flesh, not in hype. But let there be a cry that develops in our hearts, Lord. King, for our King, Lord.
and who you really are and the power of your spirit that we've seen before. Lord, let your kingdom come however you choose. When the test comes, the little whispers in the heart, often they're such small moments we miss them. They start small, get on your knees or lift your hands or speak to that person or Father, put a conviction in us bigger than our fears and securities and weaknesses just as Gideon had. Let us see who you say we are, mighty men and women of valor because you are with us, Lord. And you are with us. We will not be a subdued church, but it is not by might, not by the strength of flesh. It's not by power, that's military power, but by your spirit. Lord, let it be. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. Let it be. Let us always bow to you, Lord, and to your desires and your will above programs, above every other thing regardless of what the culture feels. They need you. We love you, Lord. We bless you. Can we just say a yes together? However you choose to do that, I'm not going to ask for a corporate thing. Can you just say yes in your heart? However, Lord, we say yes to breakthrough. Lord, I don't know what that looks like, but I do know this. I will not get in the way, Lord. We say yes, Lord. We bless you and we love you. Father, I pray a blessing on your people. I pray a blessing on your people for every person represented here, every family. Lord, I pray bless your people again. I pray for their families, their, the fun times that we go now to lunch and I'm looking forward to food. And you know, don't consume my food out of the rock. Just let me eat it. And I, just, I just pray, Lord, I thank you for family and I thank you for fun and fellowship. I thank you for life groups. I thank you just for community for community Lord but let us never forget who we cry to you are the Lord God Almighty and we love you and we thank you in Jesus name Amen